last episode we talked about your childhood and like how things affected you and uh, the obsession with like horror movies and things like that. Um, this episode is going to be more about the actual uh, murder itself. Um, so anything you want to talk about with that, anything you're uncomfortable with, totally fine. Just don't put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. Um, okay. So first question is. Did you, like, premeditate, or did you just, like, have, like, was it in the moment, like, oh, hey, I'm just going to do this? Well, I certainly didn't plan on anything. I was um, headed up to an ATM machine in uh, Watertown, and um, I was going to make these brownies for these people at work. So I stopped off to get some, I think it was M&M's or Reese's Teeter. Reese's Pieces or something, and um, on my way back, I parked the car, I went inside the house to get a couple of things, and as I stepped out to uh, get back in my car, I saw this person coming down the street on a bike, and uh, he skidded to a halt right in front of my car, and um, almost immediately, I started feeling cold, I started feeling sick. Um, really nervous, nervous, um, like something was going to happen. And I guess I decided right then and there that to hell with my plans, I wanted to do this tonight. Um, I recognized the kids from the neighborhood. I used to work at the video store, as I said, and uh, that attracted a lot of the neighborhood. Uh, we had a lot of video games and candy and um, all kinds of arcade stuff to play with, to interact with, and it attracted a lot of the kids to the area. So everyone knew each other, and um, I recognized this kid as, as Stanley. And I started talking to him, and I just felt almost this pressure, this overwhelming anxiety to get him away from the street and into my backyard to get him alone. Um, it didn't really make sense. I had somewhere to be. There was this girl, Violet, that was waiting for me. Um, I was going to be uh, baking brownies over at her house. I always liked to bake. You know, culinary arts was always my thing. And um, I find myself start talking to this kid, telling him about snakes in my backyard. And there's no snakes in my backyard. And he's believing me. And I'm going on about how we can go and look for them. And he just agrees. I grab a flashlight out of my car. And I'm looking around. And I see this sledgehammer on the floor underneath the passenger seat. And I remember stuffing it down my pants. And um, we head into the backyard. And he's asking me, where do we look? And because they don't exist, I don't know what to say. So I just have him keep walking and keep walking until we got to this wooded area. 
in the back corner of my yard. And I handed him the flashlight, and he found a big stick. Um, and he wanted to know what kinds of snakes they were, and I said I, I didn't know. Um, but that um, this is where they were. This is where to look. And I had him root through the sort of brush that was there. And um, he has the flashlight. He's in front of me. I'm behind him. And it's pitch black. It's a new moon. Um, we're now behind this hedgerow with all of this bamboo and all of these woods, um, wooded area. And um, he's going on and on about finding these snakes. Uh, by the way, his name is Stanley, Stanley Edwards. Um, he was 13, I was 15. We were about the same height, so he was kind of a big kid. Um, I'm not that tall, but he was still a big kid for his age. Um, and we weren't friends, but I knew him. He knew me enough to trust me to follow me into the backyard. And um, I remember thinking that I have to do this, that I've come too far. And it made no sense. But it felt like there was a gun to my head and that I had to finish this. And I remember um, taking the hammer out of my pants and uh, holding it in my right hand uh, behind him. And I must have held it in the air until it felt like it weighed a uh, hundred pounds. It was so heavy. And it was only three pounds. I remember he was saying something about coming back in the daytime when it was lighter. And I just brought the hammer down. And it hit him in the side of the head. And he just went silent. The flashlight went flying. His stick broke. I think he leaned against it and fell forward. But because of the hedgerow, he had nowhere to go. So when I swung again to make him stop... He started to spiral around to face me, but think, um, maybe you'd ride like a horse or a piggyback, and I sat on the small of his back and tried to get a good grip, and I remember hitting him again, and he didn't say anything. It was um, more like he was in shock or something. Um, and I hit him again. And this was probably the third or fourth time. And that's when he said, stop hitting me. Um, he was wailing his hands, flailing his hands. Um, they were gloved. He was wearing these sort of biker gloves. He had like this really dark shirt, um, camouflage pants on and sneakers. And um, 
I just kept hitting him. And I hit him again and again. And the ME later counted 31, uh, 13 strikes on his skull and the back of his neck. But um, it was some kind of frenzy that I couldn't control. I couldn't stop once I started. I just wanted him to be quiet and please stop moving. And finally, he made this sort of gargling sound, and he was choking on his own blood. And then he lay still. And I remember hitting him one more time because you just you just don't know. You just can't be sure if he would get up again. And I know it was a crazy amount of um, attacks, but he took so many blows before he stopped moving and stopped talking. And then finally we were alone, and this dog started barking, and the trees were blocking us, but this man came out on his back porch, and he had on the back light, and he kept yelling at his dog to shut up. But the dog kept going crazy, and I remember my mom always said that dogs can sense evil. The dogs have a sort of a sixth sense for things. Their senses are already honed, and their sense of smell, and I don't know if he smelled blood or what, but he's an animal, and he knew that something was wrong, that something was happening in the woods. And his owner finally dragged him back into the house, and I was alone with Stanley. And I remember the whole time, as camouflaged as I was by the woods, I remember laying flat on top of Stanley um, with my face against his bloody hair. And finally I went in search of the flashlight, and I shined it on him. And it was just, there was blood everywhere. Um, it was dark at night, so everything looked just wet. And he had this sort of shaggy, shaggy, curly hair. And it was all matted. And his skull was broken. And it was hard to tell where his face was. His face was undamaged, but the position of his head had it where it was almost twisted around. And that's when I stood up, and I, I rose above him, and I stared down, and, and I knew that he was dead. Did you, um, did you feel anything at that time, or did it kind of take a while to, like, really realize what you had done and to, like, feel remorse, or do you feel remorseful now? You have one minute left. I was super scared. Um, I felt like I had just done something that somebody else made me do that I didn't want to. And so I felt not guilt, not shame, but a fear that I'm 
going to be getting in trouble now. I just did something horrible. And now I have to cover this up. I have to make this go away. I can't get caught. There's no way I can get caught. Is all that was in my head was, I have to move his body. I can't just leave him here. I can't bury him. I have to bring him somewhere else. I have to get him out of my backyard. Okay, well, since he forgot his question, um, so your initial response after all that was, you got to cover this up because you knew you were going to get in trouble. You didn't. It wasn't like, oh, fuck, I, I just killed somebody. Um, I felt like someone did something in front of me that I had witnessed. That was horrible. That happens with I wasn't psychiatric responsible. Injuries. I didn't feel like I, it was my fault that I did it. Obviously, I'm guilty. Obviously, it's my fault. I killed him. But at the time, it had to be somebody else. It couldn't have been me. And I knew how I had to move him before my mother came home. I didn't want to get caught. So I went and um, backed my car into the driveway, grabbed some garbage bags from the house, came back and did my best to wrap them up. But he just kept falling out. It's not like in the movies. It was very sloppy, very messy. I tried to drag him all the way back to the car. He felt like he weighed 300 pounds. I think at the time, I was 140 pounds. And from the autopsy, he was 135. Which isn't very heavy for one to lift. But... When you hear the word dead weight, that just means that there's no assistance. No one's helping you lift their legs or walk with you or move with you. You're literally dragging 135 pounds. And I somehow managed to get him into my car. This is two weeks out of the Marine Corps. I wasn't a big guy. I did work out. But I didn't really have muscles. I was like this um, sort of a recovered, puny little bully's prey. You said you weighed, what, 140 pounds? When I got arrested, um, I had a good look at my ID, my mugshot, and it said I was 140 pounds. And I remember from the trial that he was five pounds less than me. As I said, we probably were about the same height. Um, he was a big kid. Um, we were about five years apart, five pounds apart. How how tall are you? Um, five seven. Okay. So you didn't realize this kid was that much younger than you? No. I knew he was a teenager. I had no idea uh, what grade he was in. Uh, I just knew that he was a kid from the neighborhood. He wasn't a little boy, but he was still 13, and so that's you, a child. 
you weren't seeking out a child? No. Okay. No, this was someone who I feel like if that night one of my friends pulled up in front of my car, it would have been him. So just basically, like you said, just anybody that was there, he just happened to be like at the wrong place at the wrong time type thing. Something happened that night um, in my head that finally flipped the switch that put in motion everything that I had dreamed about as a child, fantasizing over these movies and these true crime books and these documentaries. And here was my chance now. Something said tonight. Um, it makes no sense at all. I know how it sounds. Well, I think I think I, your problem is, I mean, no offense by this, um, but you're very mentally ill. Like, back then, now, like, obviously now in prison, you, you're having medications and you've went through some programs and things like that to help out with that. But back then, you had no guidance or direction. You were very mentally ill, obsessed with horror, and I think it kind of slapped you in the face. Like, you had a break with reality, like a psychiatric break from being mentally ill. And, like, that out-of-body experience, a lot of mentally ill people experience that, actually. I really have taken a long time to come to accepting responsibility because it didn't feel like it was my fault. Um, as guilty and as blood covered as I was, um, I did mean to do it. And yet, I thought it was wrong the minute it happened. Um, I was just confounded by so much darkness back then that fantasy became sort of a blurred reality where I could make something happen if I wanted to. And I think that's what the Marine Corps did. It took away my inhibition that had always stopped me from doing it before. When I was being bullied, I never fought back. I never got revenge, and here I am taking it out on some poor kid who rides down the street in the dark of September um, on a Tuesday night. Um, so, if you want, like, um, so what did you do after, like, with the bags and stuff, you drug them to your car? Where? Because I read in an article that said that you had taken him somewhere where, like, another body had been found roughly a year before then. Yeah, it was this complex of um, condominiums or townhouses, and it was really secluded. It was way off the road, and um, in a bit of an industrial area, too. So I knew that there weren't going to be people walking their dogs, and um, there was certainly a body found in that same area. And I thought um, the police already uh, working another case. Um, what's one more body in the area? Maybe it's um, um, 
it can look like it was drug-related, gang-related. I, I don't know. It was very stupid. Um, it wasn't thought out at all. But um, I pulled into this very dark area. This dead end is what it was, a cul-de-sac. And um, pulled over, and I had a hatchback. It was an Isuzu Impulse from 1984. So it was this old used car in 1997. And um, I pulled him out of my car and dragged him to the side of the road. Um, got back in and just peeled out, just left. Uh, left him there to be discovered by what had to be the next car to come down the road. And... Um, what happened was I had wiped what blood I could off before I got the bags when I ran into the house. But when I pulled him out of the back of the car, he had this sort of shaggy hair, and it was drenched in blood. And when the momentum of his body fell out of the back of the hatchback, it sort of whipped me where I had this fresh covering of blood again up and down my body. So I remember pulling over and having to take my shirt off and wipe off my face um, so that I could see again. I was just, just covered, just covered in this boy's blood. Did that scare you? You there? What's that? I said, did that scare you? It makes me sick today. It made me scared back then. Online, it made me scared uh, like I wanted the blood off of me. Um, here I am in the middle of September, the end of September, and driving around with no shirt on, and there's all this blood in the back of my car. It's a hatchback, as I said. And, um, this girl, Violet, was waiting for me. She had two little kids. I was supposed to be getting money from the ATM so that we could buy pizza, and then we were going to bake. So I knew that they were waiting for me, and now I had already spent all this time um, unloading the body, um, cleaning up. Um, if I was going to have any kind of alibi, I needed to get back to her. And I remember going into the house, and there was nobody home. So my mother hadn't come home yet. My sister hadn't come home yet. And I was in the bathroom. And I remember seeing what looked like SpaghettiOs, which could only be brain, on my um, bandana. I was wearing a camouflage bandana around my head, top of my head, uh, covering up my hair. Um, not as a disguise, but I don't know if it was some stupid 90s look or what. But I remember ripping it off, um, stuffing it down my pocket, and throwing myself over the bathtub and getting that sort of gushing um, 
tub water from the shower to dunk my head and wash my face and wash my blood off, uh, his blood off, uh, drenched my head and went back into my bedroom and found a t-shirt to wear, um, still wearing the bloody jeans, and went back downstairs. I remember stuffing the um, bandana down the gutter on the way to the car, uh, the storm drain. And I drove directly to the um, the video store, almost like I had to be seen. She lived next to the video store. This is the video store that I sort of grew up with um, when I was 13 and got a job. And, and I remember the guy that was working behind the counter was the boss who had always plied me with all of these films, these horror films and these pornographies and um, shit like that. And now here he was yelling at me, saying something about, you have this overdue movie, when are you going to bring it back? And I can't hear a word he's saying. And I realize I'm starting to pass out, standing in front of him. And I remember just walking away from him, backing out of the store, and going into the fresh air. It's dark at night. It's probably 7.30. 8 o'clock, um, September 30th, 1997. And he must have been confused as hell, but all I wanted was to be seen. And I went over to Violet's house, and her little boys were home. And uh, they let me in, and I said, where's your mother? And they, she, they said that she came looking for me. She couldn't find me. Um, she thought something happened to me, and apparently I had been gone for like a half hour, 40 minutes, and that's how long it took to murder Stanley, dispose of Stanley, and clean up after Stanley, and to return to Violet's house. And I remember giving her all the money in my pocket, or giving it to her boy, and I think there was a bottle of vodka for some reason in my pocket. I wasn't drunk at the time. And the baking stuff was still in my car. And I told her I would just see her in the morning. I remember just staggering out of the house because I felt like I was going to pass out again. It was like a, a bizarre panic attack slash, uh, I don't know, super anxiety. Super, super um, intense emotion were uh, all sort of crashing into each other, and I needed to be alone. Having been seen, I needed to be alone. Online, um, a lot of articles that I've read have said that you're like a sadist. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that? like you were like that back then and considered yourself sadistic? What I did was sadistic. What I felt was not pleasure. What I felt was not excitement. What I experienced that night was fear. And I don't think that's what a sadist feels when they commit a crime like this. I think there's some kind of revelry. There's some kind of enjoyment. 
And as much as I was satisfied that I had accomplished something that I had long dreamed of doing, there was this fear that I had become something that I had always sort of feared and admired in these serial killers and these um, so-called, you know, famous murderers or empty You have killers. one minute left. And um, I was becoming them. And that was scary to me. That wasn't exciting. Okay, that was our uh, part two interview with uh, Joseph. Uh, like I said, as you could tell, this uh, episode focused more on the uh, murder aspect of his crime. You know, we're not trying to glorify the crime in itself. You know, uh, we're more or less just kind of, you're hearing the point of view and the process that he went through and all that to when the crime was committed. And, you know, it's sad that, you know, Stanley lost his life that day. But uh, overall, it was very interesting listening to him talk because there's a lot of people, um, well, killers and stuff that, like with books or when they've been interviewed, they will talk about like, like the out-of-body experience where you're not in control of your body, but you're watching it from like... It's, Just because you're doing something traumatizing yeah. and... You're disassociating. That's how you're. That's a trauma response. You're traumatizing yourself by doing something fucking stupid, and that's what that's gonna happen. That's what happen. Yeah. You're overloading your mind. Yeah, and the way that I kind of look at that, you know, with it seems like he was interested, you know, in true crime killers, and then when he actually done it. We used on about being fear and stuff, you know, kind of like reality kind of hitting away. To put it bluntly, for me, like in my thought process, like I understand like bullying is not okay. He had like, you know, a weird childhood picked on whatever for being smaller and stuff like that. Which is about seven. That's, that's average. Well, yeah, it's more advertised for a man. But at one point, you know, men weren't that tall. Like back in the 1800s, that was like tall kind of but like advertised but with my thought process on it obviously just being like a fresh raw reaction the only words i have for it is he was a little kid who had no power he had a rough life which like totally understand that i don't like shaming people for that but he was a pussy like he, he was just one of those kids no hate to anyone that's like that or has been through that sorry he's been through that but the truth of the matter is you know he was a weak person. He wanted power. He suppressed that for so long. He was already mentally ill, which that could be genetics. It could be from traumatic childhood, whatever. Like, what? either way, he's mentally ill. He was. He still is. Back then, he had no support with it. Wasn't very much talked well, about. Like he didn't he have help. too, in the last episode where he had mentioned about, uh, crap. Sorry, I just lost, like. Um, <laughs> sorry, my bad. <laughs> I really just like lost her thought too. But in the first part, remember when he had mentioned all that? Well, yeah, I know. But I'm just saying, he was that pussy little kid that got picked on all the time, had no power or control over his life. His parents split up. He had no well, control over anything that, that, in his okay, life. Okay, I got my thought process. But it's when he was talking about getting out of the Marines and he had, like, you know, nothing 
Yeah. He got forcibly kicked out of that. No job, no nothing. So, which he was trying, not, you know, outside of the murder itself, he was trying to do a deep, like, a decent normal day, you know, hanging out with somebody, baking, all that, and then this just kind of transpired. But It's kind of one of those things that just hits, like, you're just overcome with anger. The way he talked was, you know, no matter who it was, it was going to happen that day. He didn't seek out anybody that could just happen to, which is like still said, shitty. Wrong, wrong, wrong but place, wrong time. anyway, he was obsessed with horror movies. He found power and control in those. He liked scaring himself a little bit, like everybody does. Everybody likes watching scary movies. Like, like you're watching scary movies to scare yourself because it's thrilling. It's fun. It gets those glands in your body going, like your adrenaline and stuff. Like people like that type of thing. That's normal, but the not normal part is when it becomes like an infatuation, not even a, an obsession. When you find power and control in it and you idolize certain things and you're like, oh, wow, like those people are my heroes because they did what I never could. And then you do it. Like, I think that really fucking hit him hard. And he was like, oh, shit. Like, he realized he couldn't handle it like he thought he could because you really have to be like a sociopath. I don't think he's a sociopath. I think he just got lost in Hollywood as a powerless child with mental illness. Yeah, he found that was kind of like the escape boat from reality. And he thought that was going to make him feel better and that he was going to feel control and power. And it's it's fucking stupid. You think, yeah, because like with that, because we'll look at the way in the movies they portray, which not saying, you know, Horror movies, like I said, I, I was raised on horror movies. I haven't killed nobody, but oh well, yeah, but. <laughs> I know. Well, they, well, you know, where you got like your older generation that blames music. I'm not blaming it movies. on that. Yeah. I'm just saying it does contribute to idolize. Well, it's kind of more or less. I wouldn't say it's the killers in themselves that's portrayed in the movies. It's how they're portrayed by you know Hollywood and stuff sometimes because because like. A lot of them, like with Jason, Leatherface, Michael Myers, a lot of people, just the way they're portrayed, all the movies are, you know what I mean? Like, the villain becomes the hero for people. And, like, the way that they look so effortlessly when they kill somebody in the movies and people kind of, you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. He was talking about he had to hit him a few times. He, like, he just wanted to be quiet. Like, it's not like the movie. You're not going to crack somebody one fucking time and they're going to die. Like, that can happen, but um, if you don't have, like, a shit ton of force behind you, probably not. There's another gentleman that, uh, what was, I think they call him the four chain killer or something, but he had strangled his girlfriend and, like, posted her pictures online of her dead. And I think that was actually what he posted in the comment well, in the post was saying that, you know, it was harder to strangle than what it is in the movies. Yeah, it Let takes me like eight minutes or something. Yeah, it, it, to, take, it takes a long while. It was something of that nature of saying that, that, you know, basically saying the movies made it look easy. Well, yeah, because it's movie, it's supposed to be fictional. It's not supposed to be, like, it's just, it's a movie. Which, like what he said, like, yeah, the boy was 13, but looking at that... You know, if he if he didn't know, like he said he didn't know his age, and if he was about as big as he was, he could have been like, well, you know, he's around my age, maybe a little young. You know what I mean? I don't think the age played a part into it, like where it just happened. Like he just yeah. happened to be in front of his car. But the I also media don't might like, have. I'm not sure that what the articles that you read did it do that. 
Do what? Play on the age. Yeah. Okay, the one, some of them that I read, it didn't really play too much on it age. It played but... on it saying, like, how he was 18 and the kid was 13 and he killed this poor 13-year-old boy, which, yes, he did kill a poor 13-year-old boy. But I don't like using an excuse, though, either, because a lot of people will say that about girls, too. Like, when these older predator fucking pieces of shit see a girl that's 13 or 14, like, well, man, she looks 18, she looks 20, like, da 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 I don't like using that as an excuse. Always double check. Which, if you're killing somebody, you're not going to be like, hey, you got an ID, but you know what I mean? Well, nothing with, you know, this case in itself, but the one guy I write... Uh, and we've been talking about paranormal, the Jason Budrow, the one that killed the uh, I-5 Strangler, the, he says what the media done to him, like the victim's family came out and said, like, basically, thank you, but the prison was stopping the letters coming in, but the detectives tried to make it, oh, you killed an 80-year-old feeble man. He's like, he was a serial killer. Yeah. Like, I killed him in prison. The victim's families were like, hey, man, thank you for yeah, killing he that said, guy. He said that, like, people, like, helped, like, got well, media is always going to make it look worse, and everybody's always going to have their own Well, opinions. that's basically what he was saying, that they he done something that the state didn't do. He said he should have got the lethal injection, but I don't think he wasn't on death row. But he's saying, you know, he done what the state shouldn't. But he said they were mad because he had other murders that he was suspected of, but he wasn't talking. But you have that control, though. That's what a killer does when they don't say there's more killings. And when there, when there is, because that control over the detectives, you know, it's all mind game. And not to, like, because, you know, like, obviously hearing this out of his mouth today is is different. Like, we were talking about how he's very intelligent and respectable person in our, our last episode, which I'm not going back on that. I still think he's very intelligent, and I still think, you know, now, not then or anything to do with crime, but right now with him being, trying to rehabilitate himself, he's respectable hearing this and stuff like it gives me those mixed emotions like everybody knows anybody that's listened to me I have mental illness myself sometimes I go off in a tyrant and I'm fucking angry and everything in which I'm angry hearing this because I just hate that for that boy and his family and I don't necessarily I don't know I don't want to say anything against him but for a 30-minute, 45-minute period of time, and for him to think, oh, hey, that place found a body, and da-da-da. Like, to me, that seemed, like, I don't know. Would you think of that on the spot? Like, oh, hey, I just well, killed this guy, and da-da-da. To be honest with you, yeah, kind of, because some of the other cases I've read, like when a guy killed, well, what should I say, a guy was more of a boy, same age, killed his younger brother, and that was, like, his thing, to get rid of the body. Well, I mean, I'm talking about where he put it at a place where another body was found. Police were already... Well, that was still, that was still, like what he said, it was still a stupid idea, but that's what that, I want to... That's thinking pretty quick on your feet, though. If you're well, in such a panic well, but and he having... Was, but he was in the true crime, though, so he probably read about that happening. And like he said, you know, they would think it, since it was an unsolved case as well, because I'm thinking, like I said, the other case I'm talking about, I'm thinking that's what that boy did. He dumped the boy in the in the woods by somewhere... To make it look like something else happened. Like, I don't know. It's weird. Neither of us have been in that situation. So we don't know how our mind would think. But that would be my opinion. Like I said, with him being in the true crime, that's kind of... He probably read about that. So that was kind of his way. And he knew the areas. Because then he said it was a dead end. 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, he knew the area. Like, I see your point. Like, I do see your point on that, but I don't know. I just feel like something is off. Well, it'd be like if you kill somebody here, you're going to know areas that you could go roughly. But if I'm going to panic, like how he said that he was just panicking and didn't want to get in trouble and he knew he had to do this, like, yeah, you knew that, but if you're in a panic and you're about to pass out and, like, your adrenaline's going that fucking high, like, are you really going to think that intelligently on your feet? It, I don't, I feel something off. Maybe it's just me because I've been having a weird day, but it, it, it yeah, I see your, like I see your point as well. Like you would think it's more in that sense too, but but like I said, I'm not sure of the area that all this happened at. Because like here we live up a holler. There's gaps in between houses where he lived at at that time when that happened. That might have been the only spot. You know like what I mean? Secluded yeah. spot. Yeah. Because, you know, he's probably, like, say... Well, he even said his name or the dog was outside What he said about the dog, I like that. Because animals do know that. I like like that part. And if I walk... uh, Our neighbor down the road... They got dogs. They stay inside. But if I walk on down, dogs. If I walk up the road, just a little ways, dogs. And I just want to say something, too. I want to say this publicly just to see if I'm the only person that feels this way. But, like, because I know a lot of people, when someone's speaking about it, like, saying the boy's name, Stanley, like, for us to say it and talk about him and, like, you know, in, like, a memorial sense, like, oh, like, that poor boy type thing, that's one thing. But the way he kept saying Stanley over and over and over, did anyone else find that weird? Comment, go on our Facebook page. Comment something. Comment on whatever you can comment on. I want interaction on that. Well, you can share. It on, you know. can share it on this. You know, on this post, we'll post it in the group and all that. And on, well, I'll tag you. What you usually share it anyways on our personal Facebook if you happen to be. But I want to know if anyone else finds that weird <sighs> and like disgusting because, like, to me, that makes me want to vomit. To be honest with you, it I kind of s- pissed me off. Well, yes, I see. I see both angles of it to being upset because you know he killed the boy, so you know he's more on a personal level than it than we are because you know we weren't involved in it. He knew him from around the neighborhood, but, and like you know, yeah, I get that, but but in a way though, too, you could look at it. You know, he's not just saying my victim; he's putting a you know. But I think it's more. I don't know. With you're looking at going on see September of this year will be twenty five years. So I look at it more in a way of where he's accepted the crime and he's still give like people's gonna probably think I'm wrong on this too, but I kinda see it as that, you know, given He's acknowledging him, he killed Yeah someone, and given the victim like a real person. Given the victim the name. Not right. you know, not like how like It with, makes it personal. Yeah, with like Ted Bundy and everything. You know, you hear about their victims but most time when they're like, oh, they were Ted Bunny's victims. He's, you know, he's given his victim his name and talking to him like that. Like, that was one way to look at it. But I, like I said, I see, I see I, both angles. I see that. I think, I think I get clouded, like, a clouded opinion. Because yours, being a mother. Yeah, yours is more the knee gut reaction of what people's going to think. Like, if he like probably would have done this. I had this, to hear this and I heard my this, family member or my child's murderer. Yeah. Saying his name like that, I would go fucking oh, yeah, AWOL. Yeah. But like I said, if this was more, say, the murder just happened last week and he's doing this, then yeah. I but understand. I do see your point. Yeah. I like that you said that because I, 
I, I definitely can see that. I think I just this is like I said. If this, if this was like I said a week or two yeah. right after the murder, both it being twenty five years later, I think it's more of him showing acceptance of what happened. Like what he said, he's accepted it. Like it took him a while, but he's accepted it. He was responsible. He was guilty of it, and I think that's why he's given his victim a name instead of just saying, "Hey, this is." Well, like I said, he goes by Joseph now, but instead of saying this is Todd's be victim, respectful almost. yeah. I see, I see your point. But you see how, like like I was saying yeah. about Ted Bundy's victims, a lot of them, like, they're all, people always, like, give them their name. A lot of them just, like, oh, victim number this. And but when you put a name and a face to it, it yeah. makes it real. It's like, yeah. it reaches people on a personal level, I see. Like, this, like, our interview with him, like, we had to edit out some parts because we lost the phone call on a part from the system, like, basically That's just hung prison, up. yeah, prison yeah. And, you know, adding out, you know, just a small talk at the end when after a set of minutes was up and when we left off. But this is a raw edit of an actual killer talking about his crime. And you're hearing it firsthand of what he'd done, the experience, you know, which some of us, some of us might have changed, you know, a little bit because it is 25 years after the fact. So, but reading some of the articles I've read on him throughout the years, because uh, I've, I've researched his case before years ago. And I was like, hey, I'll decide to write them, uh, like, last year. So that's what I did. But memory, we've talked about before, memory is never a, you know, 100% thing. But, it, it, like, his story compared to the articles of what he told police back then, it still is pretty much, there might be a few things different, but it's still, it's nothing, you know what I mean, major difference. There wasn't anything underlying that's like, oh, shit, we just figured it out. Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Like, he could have been like he rode a blue bike, but now he's saying it was a red bike. You know, something little like that. Like The, the baseline is the same. Yeah, it's still the same, but, you know. Because I don't think he lied ever about it. Like, little things may have changed just from, like you said, failed memory, but. And what a lot of killers and serial killers say, you know, this could happen to anybody. Like what he said, you know, he was fascinated with it. That's relatable, yeah, because. Like, people say that all the time as an expression, like, oh, I'd kill that motherfucker. Like, I know I say that all the time. Like. People have those thoughts. That, People have those. You're that close. Yeah. Like if you say it and go up and do something, and then bam, you're right there. Yeah. Like you're, it, you're doing it. Or like people that get road rage, like him being in his car and somebody doing that. Like people's killed people over road rage before. It's literally like just hey, insanity. Instead of, you know, like where I said that Stanley was wrong place, wrong time. Same thing with like, you know, like with road rage. If somebody goes and kills somebody. You know, on a you good seek on, out that on a good on a good day, you probably wouldn't have done that. But you know, it would be still wrong place, wrong time for the person that you killed. But it's also you were just having a bad day, and you're you know you weren't mentally ill. Yeah. Every all the factors you weren't in your it. headspace, and you're like, well, this is really like, say you're so overwhelmed for like say a month straight of stuff, and then that person say cut you off in traffic, and, you're just like, and that's that last thing that just takes it. You know, yeah. you know, it happened. You never, that's why I say you got to be nice to people because you never know what's going to happen. Which, like what he said, there, it was going to happen no matter what. We're going to, I want to put a trigger warning on this episode as well, just in case, because you never know who's family to who and things like that. And especially, like, as a parent, you know, I don't know if they would keep up with his, I don't his know, status. Yeah, you should maybe some, say. Some do, some don't. Which, I feel like I would probably be obsessive. If anything, God forbid anything ever happened like that, I think that I would become obsessive with it and be really horrible about it. But I do want to put a trigger warning, and I truly do hope that his family 
has peace and like you never recover from that. It's never going to go away. The pain is probably still See, just as hurtful. But I don't want something like this rubbing salt in their wounds, you know? Yeah, you're Because I'm very be... interested. I love talking about it. I love picking the brains of people like this. But that's I, I don't want to hurt anyone either. Well, that's the way we look at it. It's, it's a research purpose yeah. in that sense. Like, yeah, he's talking about the crime, but possibly we could learn something from this in the future. But where we where we talk about saying how, you know, it could be anybody, I don't want to make light of it. I don't want to seem like we're siding with him or that he didn't do anything wrong. He definitely did. Well, he, he admits and, he did. Yeah, and he, you know, he deserves what he's gotten from it, obviously, hmm. and everything like that. I just, I really wouldn't want to do that to the boy's family, you know? Like I said, it's weird because some, like I said, some, some families are all about it, like keeping track of it, and some of them just kind of just kind of go out yeah. of the limelight and just overlook it. Cause try to move on and grieve in peace. True crime is definitely, as you could tell, like look at all the documentaries. And like I said, like with Ted Bundy, look how long that happened. Go back in the 70s, you know, he's executed 89, and he still talked about to this day. Books are still being wrote about him today. And like H.H. H. Holmes, Jack the Ripper, you know, Jack the Ripper and H.H. H. Holmes back in the 1800s, late, 18, well, late 1800s, and they're still being talked about today. So that's the only problem when a family does endure something like this. It's still in the limelight. Because this, this is kind of, like, I don't want to say, it's, like, it is graphic, a little bit gory, like him well, talking about it, certain things and details of it. Well, it's like the movies. I would not want to hear that. Well, it's like what you see in the movies, but this is actually coming from an actual real incident. No, I know. As a true crime lover, I love talking about it, but putting myself, like, I I just keep thinking as a mom. Like, as a mother, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, like, that's the case that's always bothered me. Like, all of them bother me to an extent, but the kid kid ones are always worse. Yeah. Because, you know, the kid, like I said, he'd be pushing to see if he was 13 at the end of September. We just assume that he had a birthday, so that means he'd be 38 years old. He'd be pushing 40. You know, he'd have kids, could be leading up to grandkids soon, you know, in a few years. Literally your brother's age. No, my brother's in his 40s. He's 42. No, well, of course not. Well, 40, I 41, I, I mean. He'll I didn't be 40. realize he was. He was, <laughs> yeah, he, he's 41. I, I thought he just turned 40. I kind yeah, of. Yeah, he's 41. But still, that's close enough. Like, yeah. he's got grown daughters. And, like, oh, it's always hard to think about the life that could have been, you know. Yeah, because yeah, he'll be 42 in February. So he just turned 41. Well, look at me. That's the same thing with, yeah. you know, our oldest. Like, by the time I'm 40, he's going to be pushing 20. So he could have, right. you know, hopefully don't have a child at that young of age. But we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, it's just always rough. But, yeah, we kind of rambled a little longer than I thought we would. I feel we like would, we always but, do on the well, emotional ones. Like I said, I think people like to hear our opinions after it. And like I said, we got one probably more. Not. Well, probably not either. But <laughs> we got one more, which people did say they liked the longer episodes. And I think this overall kind of give our view. Like I said, we're not experts on it. You know, so it was just kind of our perspective. I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. And like I said, we got one more part to record with him. Like he might be a guest on other episodes, possibly in the future. Like I said, because we're only shooting 12 episodes this year as of right now, and then we'll be shutting down and then starting trying to start back up next year. Because it's just, you know, a lot of work trying to keep recording, and we don't make money from it. So just time and everything, it just 
puts a lot of stress on us. So that's why we kind of disappeared for a few months, well, like six months. But we'll probably return probably February, March of next year after we finish this season out. Like I said, we're, I've posted that we're going to record in seasons now and uh, try to get an episode out every two weeks because this will be our fifth episode with him. Well, total. It's our second one with him, but our fifth total for this season. And we have one more with him, like I said, that, I, that we have planned. And that will be kind of talking more with uh, prison life. Kind of trial after the fact of, you know, him going to get arrested and all that. Prison. Because I think it'd be interesting, you know, 18 years old, step into a prison. You know, he's going to be tried as an adult. Because he is an adult, technically. He's still a young teenager, but I don't know. Most places kind of consider you an adult when you hit 21. But, well, this place is considered your adult when you hit 18. Well, yeah, but, you know, you know what I mean, though. Yeah. But, uh, so, like I said, thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode. And, like I said, the next one after this will be, along with Joseph's interview with the aftermath of the crime, and the, basically maybe a little bit of trial, and then, you know, him going to prison and how he is in that, which I know he did touch base a little bit on in the first episode. Like I said, we might eventually have him team up with us on other episodes to get his opinion on things. Like I said, we'll see what we have in the works later on, but we got a lot of stuff planned. Uh, if you follow us on anything on social media, we had a ex-professional serial killer, where they consider him serial killer. A man. Kind of, yeah, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's reached out to us. We plan on doing something. That might just be a solo by me. Because the time frame that he can do, because he's not in the United States, it might only be because where I work night shift, might have to do something during the day. And we have our children during the day. Well, the oldest two are in school, so we'll figure something out. But then we want to try to interview some other people that I know uh, that are, you know, in the true crime field. But like I said, thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one, and hope you enjoyed this episode.